This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, well, we've started off by getting to read two verses out of Colossians, two verses about a man named Tychicus. I'm sure everybody's favorite Bible character in here, right? Woo, Tychicus. You know, I was looking, I was thinking, I was like, you know what? I've never heard of a child named Tychicus. I checked the top, like the top list of baby names. Eight of the top 11 boys' names are from the Word of God. And Tychicus isn't in the top 100. All right, this, this dude is not getting a lot of love. And, uh, and it's for understandable reason. Like, he's not mentioned much. And one thing I love about the way that we walk through Scripture verse by verse is I end up staring at the names of people that I'm like, man, you know what? I've spent my whole life growing up in church, like, reading the Word on a daily basis, but letting, letting the Word of God saturate my life, my mind. And there's all these names that I'm like, man, I don't know anything about these people. And one of those guys, one of those guys is Tychicus. Another one was Onesimus, who we talked about a few weeks ago. And it was so beautiful to deep dive into the life of this man that, like, I didn't know anything about. And see, man, God had done an incredible work in and through him that had actually completely changed my life without me knowing it. And I love, the thing I love about getting to deep dive into God's word and to stare at two verses that most of us would just overlook and read right past in our daily reading is that there are things that are things that we can mine in the Word of God, things that in the seemingly mundane that can change everything about the way you live your daily life. Tychicus, unheralded, unknown. I love this man um, because the things that we do find out about him, he's mentioned in five different places in Scripture. And those five different places in Scripture tell us not a whole lot of detail, but some really, really simple things about his character. You just heard Colossians 4, 7, and 8. The first time he's brought up in God's word is in Acts 20, verse 4. It says, So Peter the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, um, talking about Paul, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. Next time he's mentioned, 2 Timothy 4, 12. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Then Titus 3. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there. And then in Ephesians 6 at the end it says, So that you may also know how I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose. That you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. This is a, I was listening to a sermon by a guy named Alistair Begg. I don't know if you all ever listened to him. Really cool pastor, great Scottish accent. And uh, preaches up in northern Ohio. And he was talking about Tychicus. He called him, he called him Paul's mailman. All right, just kind of like the, the glorified post, postal worker. Because what he ends up doing is being this messenger. He delivers letters. He goes on behalf of Paul. He goes to places. But what we find out about Tychicus is not just that he goes places, but that he's with Paul consistently. Now, I was thinking about this. So there was a, one of the quotes that, um, that Alistair Begg used was from a guy named George Eliot. And I love this. I think this kind of encapsulates the beauty of a life lived well as a servant, as a friend, as a brother, without a lot of hype. This is, uh, he says this, um, George Eliot, the greater good of the world is dependent upon unhistoric acts and that things have gone so well for you is partly owing to the number who live faithfully hidden lives and rest in unvisited tombs. I love that. So, 
what can we learn from the glorified mailman? Right? What is there to learn from a guy that pretty much all we know about him is he delivers letters, hangs out with Paul, and doesn't seem to do a whole lot else? One of the things I love about um, when I was thinking through, like, even just the life of Paul, like, here's this man that not only was with Paul, but if you think about what Paul did, Paul ended up serving in ministry likely about 32 years was how long Paul's life in ministry was. Likely came to Christ, came to faith, you know, out of Judaism as a Pharisee, and around 34 A.D. is what most people think. And that was when he was, you know, he was blinded on the road to Damascus as Jesus met him in a very, very real, very, very kind of un, undeniable way. Gets radically saved, goes blind, has a sight restored to him. Um, as a man named Ananias prose over him. And for the next 32 years, he is faithful to minister through a whole lot of hardship, a whole lot of mess. About six of those years were likely spent in some for, form of incarceration. And there's a list of the things that he did in 2 Corinthians 12, or 2 Corinthians 11 maybe it is. And it is like heart-wrenching, okay? Because you think like, Paul, man, he does all this great stuff for the Lord and had all these amazing moments. And he did. There was, I mean, he got to see the incredible, the profound. It talks about in the next chapter after that, he actually kind of tells this story almost in the third person about a time that God took him up to the third heaven. And he's like, I want to tell you about it, but I can't. And he just kind of like leaves you hanging. And you know that Paul had these incredible experiences with the Spirit of God. Incredible evidences of the power of God. And yet, he also was tortured constantly, imprisoned regularly, shipwrecked multiple times. All right, it says that he received the, or the 40 lashes minus one five different times, which was a Roman device of torture where they would whip someone 39 times because they didn't think it was possible for a human body to survive 40. He had that happen five times to him. Like this life, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. We have 13 letters in the New Testament that are evidence of the goodness of God, the presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. But it was a whole lot of hard stuff. And the only thing I can imagine being harder than being Paul would be the guy that kind of insisted on staying next to him all the time without even getting much credit. And Tychicus is one of these men that was constantly with Paul, which means he was with him in prison. Now, here's the deal. Paul was often incarcerated. Sometimes that was behind bars. Sometimes that was house arrest. Sometimes that was literally chained to a Roman centurion. And constantly, during all of that, he had a few friends and brothers that remained by his side. That meant that they basically, they basically allowed themselves to live incarcerated because they insisted on staying by Paul's jail cell. And Tychicus was one of those men. I was thinking about that, what kind of friendship that is. You know, we um, got to spend quite a bit of time in Haiti years ago, and um, I remember hearing about, like, especially in some of the more rural areas, the way that prison worked. They would, there, there was, like, some places where they would have a, a jail cell just kind of out in the middle of a desert area, all right? It was just this jail cell, and there was no... There were no guards. There wasn't like, it was just a cell. And I was like, how does this work? It wasn't like there weren't people that worked there. They just sat in this cell. And I was like, how, how does that work? Where's like the, the guards? Where do, who feeds them? And they said, oh, well, they, get in, they go to that cell. And if someone comes and delivers food and water, then they eat. And if not, they starve to death in the cell. I was like, whoa, that's a... It's a whole different form of incarceration and injustice than anything I'd encountered in my life. You know, and I, was, I remember seeing that and thinking, gosh, for, for someone to love that person well, it made it make sense when it, 
what it says in Scripture, it talks about, Jesus says, those who visit the least of these, those who, he says, thank you to those who visited me when I was in prison. And he says that when people get to heaven, they're going to say, Lord, when did I visit you in prison? He's going to say, whatever you did to the least of these, you've done to me. Tychicus knew that well. He knew what it meant to love at the expense of himself. I was thinking about as I kind of read through this passage, there was one, one um, primary thought that kept coming back to my mind. It's out of Zechariah 4.10. It's one of the, the prophets, Zechariah. He writes this to the people of God. And he, it's, it's this really simple phrase, simple phrase that you can deep dive in for a long time. He says, do not despise the day of small things. Do not despise the day of small things. And I was thinking about like the life of Paul, the life of Tychicus, the lives of these men that we've encountered in, in Colossians. Really the lives of all these men that we're going to see in the Word of God, all these women who walked with the Father. And I tend to read the Bible from highlight to highlight. You know what I mean? Like I read it from peak moment to peak moment. If I were to tell you my life story, you know what I'd do? I'd pick out the highlights. I'd pick out the things that seem like they sell well. I'd pick out the cool moments of elation. I'd probably tell you some of, the, some of the negative moments, but only if they resolved well in the end. And I found even growing up in church culture, it's very easy for me to see that tendency. You hear a lot of testimonies after the story's over and the bad stuff kind of gets resolved and you put a bow on it. But a lot of times, guys, that's, that's not life. You know, life isn't just highlight to highlight. It's mostly the moments in between. Saw the um, was researching a little bit about um, about Mount Everest. You know, I got to go to Nepal a number of years ago and wasn't too far from Everest, and got to spend some time hiking in the Himalayas and visiting some unreached, unengaged people groups with a friend of mine. It was just beautiful and life changing. That that part of the world is just incredible. I mean, you're like, you know, it's just breathtaking. And Everest is the highest peak um, on the face of the earth. Um, little over. 20, what is it, like 29,000 feet above sea level or something crazy like that. And they say that when you get up there, you actually, it takes, it takes a number of months to climb Everest because you have to spend enough time at base camp for your lungs to acclimatize to the peaks. And then you begin to take trips a little bit higher and a little bit higher and then back down again, a little bit higher to acclimatize. And finally, after a few months, you'll go to the top. And when you reach the top, you... Um, they say that the average person, the average climber, will have about three to five minutes of TUC. That means time of useful consciousness. The, that literally, the human body is designed, this is like those who climb up there, who have been acclimatized. So once you've acclimatized, the average human body will have the capacity to spend three to five minutes at the mountaintop. Three to five minutes. Months and months of training, of preparation, of spending time at high altitude so you can train your lungs, all so that you can get three to five minutes at, high, at, the, at the peak. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know what, that's, like, that's so much, that, that's such a great indicator of the way that life is. Because truth be told, like, I love, I love those mountaintop moments. Like, we love celebrating those, those peak moments. Those times that somebody's going to be like, how was your week? You know what you're usually going to do? You're going to pick out that peak moment. You're going to pick out something that stuck out. And that's fine. I'm not saying that's wrong, but that's just not how life is. Life isn't actually really mountaintop to mountaintop. It's mostly the time in between. You got about three to five minutes of TUC, and you got a few months 
down at base camp, figuring out how to get your lungs to acclimatize. As I was reading about the life of Tychicus, I thought, man, that's, that's really, I bet that's the way his life seemed. You know, and when he was sitting there next to Paul, side by side with him, he probably didn't see a lot of Paul's peak moments. He saw some of the hard stuff. He saw a lot of time of, you know, what would have seemingly looked like boredom and incarceration as he's just writing. And Tychicus got to sit there. There's a chance, we don't know for sure, Tychicus could have been a scribe, could have written down some of these, some of these letters that we now have and get to celebrate from God's word. But we do know about Tychicus is he was there. He was there constantly, and he didn't leave. There's a lot of other men that Paul write about that departed and left and didn't stick around, but not Tychicus. And I was thinking about just what it would have been like for him just to be faithful, to be faithful to be there. You see it in Colossians 4, 7. What does Paul say about him? He's a beloved brother. He's a faithful minister. He's a fellow servant. He sent him so that he could encourage the people of Colossae's hearts. He said, I know, I know what it's like to have Tychicus around, and it's refreshing. I know what it's like to be incarcerated and to feel this weight of not being able to get out and do the things that I want to do. And I know that when Tychicus is there, it makes it a little bit easier. I know that I love him dearly. I know he's been faithful constant I know he's a fellow servant that fellow servant is actually not a it's not two words in Greek it's one and it's the word sundulas and that word sundulas is kind of what we talked about a month or so ago we talked about being a doulas being being a um, being a slave in this specific way of being a slave of Christ a slave in the Lord and a sundulas is like a co-slave He's like, he's right alongside me and suffering for the sake of the gospel. One of the other words it uses in here is the word di, um, diakonos, all right, which is a, a core because you and I would use it more as the word deacon. That's the English kind of transliteration of it, to be a deacon. That's to be a person that serves. I love the deacons were, were kind of the, uh, the other side of church leadership in the early church that when, when Paul began to kind of establish and say, hey, here's the way that a community is going to operate most beautifully. He said, you're going to need two things. One, you're going to need the elders. That's going to be the leaders. That's like, that's the guys who are equipped to teach. They're called to teach. In 1 Timothy 3, he gives a list of what those men look like. And there's 17 things that describe them. Only one has anything to do with competency. The other things have to do with their character. And then he talks about the deacons. And the deacons are just those that serve. They're those that, like, you find out later on, you hear, man, that, that guy kept, kept doing things for people behind their backs without them knowing. It's the guy that served, that served without trying to get anything for it, without trying to get any attention. And that's who Tychicus was. Now, when I think about this, I, I think, okay, and then what's the, what's the kind of obvious ramifications for us as the people of God? You know, as we think, how do we apply this to our life? How do we take this man's life who didn't seem like he did a whole lot, Paul seemed to like him. He was a good buddy to Paul, but like, man, what's, what is it about this man's life that should change the way that I live mine? Um, and I was thinking a couple months ago, we had some, some folks from Com City that got to go on a mission trip. They got to go on a trip to the Middle East. 
And there was a ton of preparation and prayer that went into it. And then as that trip came about, it seemed like it all fell apart. I mean, it was terrible. Like it was in the middle of having to get all the COVID testing to go overseas and people kept testing positive. And then when they landed, some more people tested positive. And there was all kinds of weirdness about even trying to get there in the first place and catch the flights. And by the end of it, when everybody came back, I know a couple of you guys are even in here in this room today. I remember sitting down and it seemed like most of you were just like, what on earth was that? <laughs> and I was like, man, I remember as they were gone, we were praying, kind of constantly getting updates of how to pray and what to pray for. And um, I remember at the beginning of that trip, my mom was praying and had that thought from Zechariah 4.10, do not despise the day of small things. And as we leaned into that and we're praying for them, we're thinking about the life of Paul in relation to a trip that looked like it would have been utterly fruitless, especially by comparison of all the hopes and prayers that went into it. And I was like, you know what? I bet when Paul was thinking, when he had this light come and blind him, and God say, hey, I'm going to empower you and equip you to take the gospel to the Gentiles, I bet he was not thinking, oh, yeah, you know what that's going to encapsulate is a whole lot of time spent incarcerated in a prison cell. A whole lot of time getting beaten. There's a time that Paul gets stoned. Now, here's the deal. You don't get stoned to injury. That's not a phrase. Nobody says, yeah, he got stoned to injury. No, you get stoned to death. That's what happens. You get stoned to death. And God supernaturally raises him up. So apparently, you know, but I don't know if that would have left. I don't know if God, when God raised him up from stoning, if God also healed the giant dents that would have been all over his body from the stoning. I don't know if he took away all the scars. So he probably walks around just looking, I mean, bizarre, beat up, torn down. He says in 1 Corinthians 4, as he gives a description of what he felt like as an apostle, he's like, man, guys, we're, we're the worst. We're the refuse of all things. He said, the world treats us like dung. And as I was thinking about what it means for us to be the people of God, who recognize that life isn't really from mountaintop to mountaintop. It's more through the valleys. It's going to be a whole lot more time spent at base camp acclimatizing our lungs to, you know, to, um, to, high, to high levels than it's going to be sitting on top of a mountain looking out over an epic view. And I thought, man, Lord, this is really kind of the consistent pattern of Scripture. I was thinking about the life of Christ he comes down to earth. The God of the universe comes down to earth, becomes incarnational, wrapped in human form, lives life here among us, and spends over 90% of his time doing a day job. And I was reading this stuff, and I was like, man, Lord, this is not real exciting stuff. You know, like, I don't think I want the, the calling of Tychicus does not seem real exciting. And yet, guys, Tychicus is all of us. This is the calling of the average believer. This is who we are. We get to be these people that live life every day kind of saying, God, I might not get to do something that looks epic on paper today. And yet, I know that what you're calling me to has an impact on the occupancy of heaven and has an impact on the kingdom itself. And there's a comfort to me as I read about the life of Tychicus, as I read even through the life of Paul, and I was thinking through all these valleys and all the mundane moments, and I thought about Jesus and what it was like for him as a young man to be living here on earth, knowing he was divinity wrapped in humanity and having to just go every day 
to work every day, day after day, just doing the things. So much so now, now I, I want to think like, well, yeah, I bet he went and he was a, a carpenter and on the job site he was just performing miracles all day. But what we know about him is that when he reveals himself as the son of God, everybody who knew him was shocked. So whatever he was doing was being done in such a way that when he revealed himself as the son of God, it was surprising. I was thinking about what it looks like for me to read the life of a man like this, a man like Tychicus, and to reflect on the life of Paul and the life of Jesus and to say, man, what does it look like for me to be a man? To be a man who's okay with not despising the day of small things. I was thinking, Lord, I, I love the fact that you have ruined average for me now. Because the truth is, guys, every day of my life, I'm going to wake up and most days are not going to have some kind of peak in a mountaintop moment. And yet, what I know that Paul got to celebrate and Tychicus got to live in was the constant reality of the presence of God. Now, even as I say that, I think, well, yeah, yeah, obviously he was always there. But guys, I, every Tuesday morning we gather here at the, at the carpets and we pray from if you guys get here about 5 a.m. and there's a crew of us that pray from 6 to 7. And one thing we pray every Tuesday, and uh, Brady's really faithful to kind of remind us of it, is, Lord, you have ruined our average Tuesday. You've ruined the average Tuesday. Because those moments in a mountaintop or those moments in a valley, now we have a constant promise that changes everything. And I was thinking about this as I was thinking about what it looks like for my average mundane valley-to-valley you know, that kind of have these highlights and these peak moments, but we don't get to spend really long there. And I thought, okay, Lord, that's true, but there's also another alternate truth that kind of redeems and reconciles those, and it's the truth from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And 2 Corinthians 3, it's in the place where Paul's writing, and Paul writes to the people in Corinth, and he tells them, he tells them at the end of 2 Corinthians 3, he says, hey, I want, you to, I want you to compare your life right now. I want you to take your average moment, your average day from the mundane, those who might not seem like they have any kind of excessive gifts that give them attention within, you know, within the body of Christ, those who feel like they're having just an average life, mundane to mundane. Here's your new normal. And in 2 Corinthians 3, he tells them, Now you have something that Moses only dreamed of. And Moses... Moses, if you remember, most got to encounter the presence of God on top of a mountain. And when he encountered the presence of God, God said, hey, you can't handle looking me in the eye, so I'm just going to let you see my back. And when he walks by, when he walks by, God lets him, um, reveals himself to him just by letting him see his back. And it's so profound that Moses begins to shine. All right, he begins to be kind of glorified in, in a sense. He has this, this light that kind of, this residue of the glory of God that shines off of his face. And he walks down the mountain, and it begins to fade. And he walks a little further, and it fades some more. And finally, he gets to the bottom of the mountain, and that glory has faded quite a bit. But the people at the bottom of the mountain are so shocked by what's on his face, they say, hey, you, you've got to cover that up because you're freaking us out. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says something really profound to us as the average, everyday, normal people of God. He says, hey... What Moses had was a glory that fades. But now, every day of your life, you're going to wake up with a glory that's ever-increasing. And your day-to-day -day life is going to go from glory to glory. And I'm ruining your average Tuesday. 
That's what the Spirit of God is saying to us. I'm ruining your average Sunday, your average Monday, your average Wednesday. I'm ruining any hope you had at mediocrity. Because every day of your life, every day of your life is going to be a life that goes from glory to glory. When I was looking at the life of Paul, thinking about what it was like for Tychicus to be there by his side, to be faithful, to be a beloved brother, um, to be there in those prison sentences with him, to walk alongside him, I, I kept coming back to the same place. And it's Philippians chapter 3. If you would, open up your word with me there. We're going to read a, a big chunk from this, from this passage. What I'd like for us to do, what I'd like for us to do is something a little bit different. Instead of just kind of reading through the passage, we're going to read through it slowly. And I'm going to kind of invite you to spend some time in prayer. Um, as we read through this, I'd love for us to, to let the Bible jump off the pages and to begin to shine a light into our own hearts and our own lives, our own stories and testimonies. So Philippians chapter 3, we're going to start from the bottom. It kind of gets really cool and fun at verse 7, but even leading up to that, even leading up to that, Paul kind of talks about what it looked like for him to be a man who walked with God and put no confidence in the flesh. And, and I, want, I want you to kind of think through your own story, the, the story that God's written in you, those mountaintop moments and all the valleys in between. We're going to start in verse, in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 3. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we're the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. I, oh, sorry. See, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. What I'd like for you to do is go ahead and close your eyes. I'm just going to spend a little time alone with the Lord for a sec. And I want you to walk through any place in your life that you can tell, that you can tell that Maybe the world tells you, oh, this is something you can take glory in. So you look through those reasons for confidence in the flesh. And I want you to take those before the Father. And I want you to say, Lord, put to death any confidence I could have in myself. This kind of goes right back to Colossians chapter 3 as well that we walked through a few months ago. It says, put to death whatever is earthly in you. I don't know whether that's intellect, whether that's some self-confidence that you've had, whether that's like some sort of social athletics, some sort of attractive, whatever kind of thing that it is that you find yourself being compelled to exalt in your flesh. I just want you to take that before the Father and just pray a really dangerous prayer and say, God, put to death any confidence I have that is not rooted in you. And Jesus, even as we do this, I just go ahead and tell you. Well, I know even, uh, Lord, you know, this week was, was interesting, Father, coming before you feeling a, a sense of weakness in the flesh that, um, man, that felt a little bit more pronounced than it usually does. Just a, 
a real recognition that the only, the only hope I've got is you. And I, I'm grateful for that, Lord. I'm grateful that, that you love you love for us to not just recognize weakness, acknowledge weakness, but you go so far as to say that you want us to boast in it. And even like Paul says in another place, to boast all the more gladly in his weakness so that the power of Christ may rest. So Lord, right now we come to you with any places where we would be confident in and of ourselves, confident in our giftings, confident in our own power, confident in the flesh. And we say, Lord, that in exchange for those, we'd like to turn in this confidence to you, present it before you, and instead to boast all the more gladly in our weakness so that your power may rest upon us. Verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to go before the Lord. And go ahead and ask him, say, God, call out any place in me, any place in me that I am still counting as gain. And then if you would, I want you to pray a really simple prayer. A prayer that Paul learned to pray is his everyday reality. And I'm sure that he then taught those who did life with him and sat outside of his jail cells, men like Tychicus. They would know that the surpassing worth of their lives is to know Jesus. To know him as a friend. To find that 40 lashes minus one to five times is a small price to pay in exchange for intimacy with him. If you would, I want you to go to the Father and I want you just to pray that really simply. Say, God, may you, may you constantly remind me that knowing you makes everything else look like loss by comparison. Go ahead and pray that. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. I want you to go to the Father. I want you to ask him a really simple thing here too. Say, God, call out any place in me that I feel righteous because of my own behavior. And that my righteousness is not attached to the work that you did on the cross. Jesus, even as I ask that, Lord, I can tell, you know, it seems like, it seems like our flesh is constantly fighting to make behavioral modification the goal of our lives instead of just learning to love you in such a way that doing the things that please you are the only things left that appeal to us. So, Father, we repent of any place that our righteousness is attached to our behavior and not ultimately to your sacrificial 
Your sacrificial love is evidenced by your death on the cross. The death that we deserve to die, but that you died in our place. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I want you to go to him and say, Lord, do not just, don't let me just stop with an appreciation of the work that you've done to defeat my sin at death. May I embrace the glory to glory realities of sharing your resurrection. That's a prayer he'll never say no to. Go ahead and ask him that. Lord, I want to know that. I want to, to taste and to see the power of your resurrection. I love what it says in the Amplified there. It says like the power outflowing from your resurrection. That it's like, man, it became like a spring, Lord. Like that your resurrection became contagious. And didn't just change my eternal destination, but changed my daily life. Changed the incessant reality of every thought that I think, every day that I live. It has ruined my average Sunday, my average Tuesday, every day of my life. So, Father, may you take the mundane and may you baptize it with glory to glory resurrected realities. Next part, may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Go to the Father and ask him, say, God, do not just let me be a person that appreciates the fact that you died on the cross, but that takes you up on the offer of being crucified with Christ so it is no longer I who live. Go ahead and ask him that. Jesus, I do. I thank you. Lord, you know, I feel like it was a Last year, kind of overwhelmed with that reality that you haven't just you haven't just told us that suffering could happen. You said in Second Timothy that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer. That suffering is a promise, not a possibility. It's a promise, and that if I live life with you and I don't suffer, then you would have broken a promise, and you do not break promises. And so, Lord, we praise you. We love getting to, getting to share in the, in the realities of resurrection, getting to share in those glory-to-glory glory truths. And also, Lord, may you make us the kind of people that love you so deeply that we realize that it's a privilege to also share in your sufferings, to not just appreciate your death because of what it means for me, what it's redeemed me from and saved me into, but, Lord, also that we would become like you in your death, that we would become people that learn to sacrificially love at our own expense. The last part, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, I recognize that if you're somebody in here and you don't know Jesus, that this might be an interesting thing for me, for a guy to stand up on a stage and invite you to spend a few minutes in prayer. Um, but I would encourage you right now, if you're, regardless of where you are, if you're somebody in here who's, man, you're just here curious, curious about what the gospel is, curious about, curious about why Jesus would be so important or significant in your life, 
then like this is it. This is it, that the resurrection of Jesus that will be celebrated next Sunday on Easter is not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's something that's to happen every day in the life of those who lean into knowing him better. And if you are somebody in here who knows Jesus and you love him with all your heart, then I want us to spend some time just sitting here in this reality that by any means possible, we may attain the resurrection of the dead. And so if you would... Bow your head, close your eyes. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. I'm going to play just in the, in the background even as we kind of spend some time here at closing. But if you would go to the Father and say, Lord, I, I ask you by any means possible, no matter what it takes, regardless of the price tag, may I know and taste deeply the reality of resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for simple lives lived in simple ways without a lot of hype. I'm grateful for a man like Tychicus that's mentioned five times in Scripture, but three times seem almost like they're just kind of, you know, passing thoughts. And two times just to say, man, that's a really good friend. And Lord, I, I thank you. I thank you for calling us into these kingdom realities, Lord. We're like, the goal of our lives is not for us to be lifted up and exalted, but for us to be a means to the end of lifting up another name that is more important than our own the name of Jesus Lord as we're going to get to spend some time here at the end worshiping lifting you up in our songs and in our prayers but also by remembering what was done by taking these little cups of juice and these little wafers of bread and remembering your body that was broken your blood that was shed Father, we do ask you, even today as we take communion, may it mean something different. May it, may it carry with it a weight and a significance of not just appreciating what was done, but getting to share in it. Becoming like you in your death, that by any means possible, we may attain the resurrection of the dead. And Lord, I thank you that Thank you that crucifixion and resurrection are neither one spectator sports, but are both invitations. So, Lord, right now, right now, if there's anything we could ask of what we'd like for you to call us into, to invite us into, may, may we be the kind of people that, like Tychicus was to Paul, may we be this to you. May we be beloved, beloved siblings. May we be faithful ministers, fellow servants, and may we be those who encourage the church. May we be those that even if the most epic thing we ever do is just stay there next to a friend in a jail cell, hurt alongside somebody, if we're just present. Father, may you make us the kind of people that do not despise the day of small things. 
but Lord, that get to celebrate, that get to celebrate what it means for us to, to know the beauty of your close proximity in the valleys and in the mountaintops. Yes, Jesus. And Lord, more than anything else, call us upward, this upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We invite you as we sing to come and take communion. If you're somebody here, like we referenced earlier, that you, you're here and you know that you're not somebody who calls Jesus friends yet. You're somebody who's really curious. And um, I would say that communion, this is something that's intended for those who know the Lord and have tasted deeply of his love. But we have something so much better to offer for those who are here who do not know him. And that's to taste and see that he's good, to get to take the offer of getting to know Christ himself. And what that looks like, what that looks like is recognizing that the only hope you have, the only hope you have of resurrection is friendship with the one who died a death that you should have died and rose from a grave you would have been stuck in forever. This is what we call the gospel. It's a word that just means good news. It's beyond just good news. It's the best news. It's a news that's beyond anything humanity could have ever dreamed of unless God himself would have come down to earth come wrapped in humanity, lived a life that we never could have lived, completely and utterly perfect. When he was in ministry and when he was dying on the cross and also when he was 24 as a carpenter, living, always making it his aim to please the Father. And because of that, he became the perfect sacrifice who could die on our behalf. For those of you who do know him, I invite you to come and take communion. And maybe today as you take communion, just pause for an for an extra little bit and pause and appreciate what was done but also ask the Lord ask him today to invite you uniquely to not just appreciate what this communion represents but to participate so Lord we bless this bread we bless this juice we bless what it represents even more invite us into resurrected living for the sake of your glory in your name Amen